0: great things. And I'm just sometimes I feel like I'm on the sidelines. I'm just, you know, just watching what he's doing, just. But, you know, we're all invested. We're all a part of this. We're all putting our hand to the plow. Amen. But at the end of the day, God does so much. He he exponentially adds to the efforts that we bring. All you have to bring is five loaves and two fish. And when he gets a hold of it, he's going to feed multitudes. We can never disregard, we can never devalue what we bring. What is in your hand today? What is in your hand? You bring that. And I'm telling you, there's an atmosphere shifting, there's a culture shifting in our church when it comes to worship, and it's because you're coming in worshipful, you're not waiting for us to prime you up, gear you up, get you started. The better off you are coming in here, the the more we're going to see his presence in manifestation. We have to spend 10, 15 minutes just trying to prime you up and pump you up and, and get you there. But, man, when you come in rejoicing, you come in happy, you come in excited, you come in expecting, you come in, you can't wait to see what God's going to do in this place. Man, I mean, I'm telling you, there's going to be times I'm not even going to get to preach. Thank you. I'm not even going to get to utter a word because the Holy Spirit's doing what he does best. Amen. So keep coming with that expectation. Keep coming with that anticipation turn with me if you will first corinthians chapter three. First corinthians chapter three can't have my voice going out already i got a lot to say <clears throat> holy spirit has a lot to say and he needs my voice i thank you father my voice is strong it will declare none of the words of god and it will last as long as we need to in jesus name First Corinthians chapter three. I'm going to get into a series. I haven't done a lot of series, you know, lately for sure. Um, But I just see this compounding. I just see this building, and um, I want to take the next several services. I know there's at least four. There could easily be five or six. I want to talk about transformation. I want to talk about transformation, and um, I, I believe that as believers. And as Christians, the thing that we should be most interested in and most invested in is transformation. And transformation needs to take place because the way we come in isn't the way we can stay. Are you hearing me today? The way we enter the kingdom is not the way that we can stay in the kingdom. And transformation has got to be one of the most vital uh, uh, investments in our lives as believers. And it's sad that repentance is only taking place when we enter the kingdom. But but Jesus is trying to get us to a position where we are consistently repenting. Now, repenting doesn't mean come down here and snotting and crying and boo-hooing at the altar and, and asking God to just forgive you. Repentance literally means to change your thinking. And I don't know about you, but I am still changing my thinking to this day when it comes to the culture that I'm surrounded by, and the world that I came out of, and the world that I lived in. And I don't care if you were born in church. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 35 years old in, in May, and I've been in church 35 years and nine months. I mean, I was born in it. I, you know, that's, that's all I've ever known. But I still have to change my thinking. My, my mentality will follow that which I give attention to. My thinking my my, my my mindset and and this is a thing that the way I think now determines the way that I live. I said the way that I think it directs and determines and, and mandates what I now produce out of my life. so if I never get a hold of the mind, if I never get a hold of my mentality, if I continue to hold on to. The old culture, you know, in America, and we, we've we hit on this before, but in America, we love to embrace cultures. We hit this just a few weeks ago, talked about culture. And, and, and we love to embrace culture. But in the kingdom of God, you cannot embrace a former culture and take a, take a hold of his. You have to deny one to have the other. You have to. And we are um, um, living in a day and age where transformation Is not the priority any longer. Because we buy into something. That we believe takes place internally. The heart. And then we make statements like. You can't judge me. And you can't. Call me out on stuff and you can't speak towards my lifestyle and my attitudes and my behaviors. But what Jesus was constantly trying to show us through his word, even with the Pharisees, was that the result of your heart is producing your lifestyle. So if you're saying your heart is in one place, but your 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 frame on the outside is declaring something different, there's an issue. There's a transformation problem. We need a transformation. We need a transformation. I read this quote this past week. It's from – a pastor friend of mine posted it, but it's from uh, A.W. Tozer. And he makes this statement. He says, our error today is that we do not expect a converted man to be a transformed man. And as a result of this error, our churches are full of substandard Christians. A revival is, among other things, a return to the belief that real faith invariably produces holiness of heart and righteousness of life. I'm going to read that one more time. Our error today is that we do not expect a converted man to be a transformed man. There's two different things. I'm not talking about the conversion of the man today. I'm talking about the transformation of the man. And as a result of this error, our churches are full of substandard Christians. And I'm going to be able to expound on that here in just a bit. The revival, we all cry out for revival. Lord, send revival. He says the revival is, among other things, a return to the belief that real faith, Invariably produces what is our faith producing? What is our belief system producing? Is it just something that we say we have, but it produces uh, lack and it produces uh, there's no power behind it. There's no unction behind it. There's no change behind it. What is our faith producing? Our real faith invariably produces holiness of heart. And righteousness of life. Holiness of heart. Righteousness of life and in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 Paul is writing and this letter is not a fun letter To to read or to listen to Paul is Reprimanding if you will correcting Um, A lot of us in the church world will call it judging But that's okay. You can call it that but it's still relevant nonetheless And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because there's behaviors and there's issues major issues happening in the church 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1 states in the New Living Translation the New Living Translation dear brothers and sisters those first four words caught me because what follows does not sound like he's talking to brothers and sisters it does not sound like he's talking to believers it doesn't sound like he's talking to Christians it sounds like he's talking to the world what follows those first four words but he says dear brothers And sisters, so who's he writing to? The church. I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, uh, as to babes in Christ. I'm reading out of the New Living. When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world. Or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk. And not with solid food. Because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Now look. He's identifying how he spoke to them initially. Initially. When we first come into the kingdom, we have to understand the process of spiritual maturation, the spiritual maturity, spiritual development. We all know the term born again. It's only referenced one time in the Bible, John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus in the middle of the night, you must be born again. And, of course, Nicodemus didn't get it. He was thinking on natural terms, how in the world can I enter into my mom and be born again? He said, no, 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 spiritually, you've got to be born again. Well, being born again means I don't come out with all the necessary, essential, fundamental, foundational principles and elements that it will take to be a strong believer in Jesus Christ. There are some things I'm going to have to learn. There are some things I'm going to have to acquire. There are some things I'm going to have to grow into. There are some things I'm going to have to develop. There are some things that I'm going to have to uh, be able to be educated in and take those on. Nobody in this room would go next door and demand a a, a baby in that room to teach you anything. No, they they need to be taught. Nobody would go next door and, and grab Avonlea and say, hey, can you help me uh, move this stack of chairs for me, please? She does not obtain the ability to do so. A baby is only interested in one thing. They are in receive mode. They can't even tell you they're hungry. You just have to know when they're hungry. It's same thing with believers, same things with Christians. We cannot expect believers, brand new believers, to start teaching and start developing and training others. You can share your faith. You can share your witness. You can share what the Lord has done with you. But beyond that, you're limited. You've got to grow in some things. You've got to receive some things. Nothing pains me more than to see a brand new believer start running off at the mouth and start trying to profess and start trying to teach and start trying to show other people. Things that are beyond what they have yet acquired. No, you need to receive. You need to be taught. You need to get connected with the local church. You need to surround yourself with godly relationships. You need to get yourself in an environment conducive for growth. And too many churches are birthing babies and leaving them in the hospital for someone else to take care of. That's why we end up with converted, not transformed. So we start as babies, and he's identifying, this is how I used to have to talk to you. But then he makes these words, and you still aren't ready. Now, Paul planted this church and pastored it initially, and then he left, and he put another man named Apollos over the Corinthian church to pastor it and to lead it and to guide it. Later on, he he goes on to say, uh, uh, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Apollos. Uh, 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 Paul planted, I planted, Paul is watered, but it's God that brings the increase. So there was increase. This isn't a church that's dying. This isn't a church that is failing. This isn't a church that's empty. You can even get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You find they got gifts and demonstrations. They're praying in tongues. They're giving prophecies and they're speaking words over one another. I mean, there are things that what we would label spiritual is taking place in this house. Even on the outside, it looks like it's producing results. It looks like uh, it it is what we would call a growing church plant. I mean, it it endured transition. Paul was there, and then we handed it over to someone else, and now we've got someone else pastoring. And and Paul says, I planted. Paul has watered. God's bringing the increase. There's increase. Things have been growing. Things have been showing up. But there's a problem. He's writing back to this church anywhere from four to seven years later. He's writing this letter back to this church anywhere from four to seven years after he planted the church, which tells us something. It tells us that we can expect the spiritual growth of a believer to, to happen, to, 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 reach a, to reach maturity or a level of maturity within four to seven years. Paul is not stating an expectation that, is, is not, that should not be expected. Somewhere between four to seven years, you coming into the kingdom, you buying into the, the, what the Lord has done for you and, and being converted. You, you should have grown up. You should have developed the ability to mature and be able to take on more than you took on initially. Anywhere from four to seven years, historically speaking. He said, but you're still not ready. And this is why. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. What are those sins? You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by the sinful nature? Now, if this was church today, these people would have just left and started another church. (laughs) Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Prove? Prove? Your attitudes, your behaviors, your 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 activity, uh, what you're producing with your outward flesh life, is proving to me what nature you are controlled by. Aren't you living like people of the world? The Amplified reads it this way. However, brothers and sisters, I cannot talk to you as spiritual people, but only. As to worldly people dominated by human nature. Mere infants in the new life in Christ. It's foolish to expect a a, a babe in Christ to all of a sudden uh, just put down natural tendencies and habits and behaviors. Now, there is spiritual deliverance. I've known people that, man, they, they gave their life to Christ, and they were instantly freed from a habit of drinking and, and a habit of smoking and a habit of pornography. I mean, God just come in and just set free, bring liberty. But then there are other things in our lives, and if, if, if God doesn't set you free from one, you're going to have to set yourself free, so to speak. I I'm not saying that you can do it not under your own power, but you've got to put some worth, you've got to put some investment, you've got to show some effort that I'm not going to continue to surround myself with things that are keeping me bound by this. I'm just waiting for the Lord to deliver me, but you got your computer over in the corner, and, and after your wife stay, goes to bed, you're staying up all night. Hello, we need to make some changes. Well, I'm just waiting for. I'm just praying the Lord will set me free. It doesn't work that way. Make some changes in your life that won't. Keep tempting you to go down the wrong path. But he's saying, mere infants in the new life in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Even now you are still not ready. You are still worldly, controlled by ordinary impulses in the sinful capacity. I fell into sin. You don't fall into it. You're controlled by it. The sinful capacity, for as long as there is jealousy and strife and discord among you, are you not unspiritual? Are you not walking like ordinary men, unchanged by faith? We just saw that faith, faith will produce righteousness of heart, holiness of life. The faith that we confess, the faith that we profess to. In, in, in essence, what he's saying in the New King James, he says, you're behaving like mere men. In essence, what he's saying is the saint and the sinner should not be confused. He's saying the saint and the sinner should not be confused. You should be marked. There should be something different about you if you've come into this kingdom. I love. What God's mercy and grace can do for us. I love it. And we need to take time to focus on that. Some of us have gotten so spiritual that we have forgotten what God brought us out of. We forgot that we were mere men. And you were stuck in that sin. And you were stuck in that lifestyle. And you were stuck in that mentality until Jesus came and did what he did. Until God sent his son. The mercy that someone would take on what I deserved. And the grace that empowers me now to live above that. Grace is not a band-aid. I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what's been ministered. I don't care what they have been teaching you. Grace does not cover sin. It empowers you to live above sin. It's because of grace that you don't have to live bound to it. Anymore. The saint and the sinner should not be confused. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. In the New King James, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I looked up that word all in the Greek and it means all. All things. In the Amplified, it reads this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by what? Faith in him as Savior. He is a new new creature. Watch this. Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things. What are those old things, Paul? The previous moral and spiritual conditions. Have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Because spiritual awakening brings a new life. I've heard people say this before. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful God loves this sinner. Believers say this. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Man, I'm just so so thankful that God loves this sinner. And you don't know how wrong that statement is. The the ideal that I want to focus on today as we go through this series and as we talk about transformation, I'm going to focus on what I call values. And the value I want to focus on today is there must be a value for righteousness. Righteousness. We live in a culture that has blurred the lines between righteousness and unrighteousness, and we live in a culture that. Accepts unrighteousness and tolerates unrighteousness and the key is is that whatever you tolerate eventually becomes your culture and and slowly it 's happening slowly it 's creeping in slowly it's the the, the enemy uh, although he is stupid, he is tricky Genesis three tells us he 's cunning and he slithers in and he creeps in and and so he he has bought into this. Uh, uh, we have bought into this acceptance of unrighteousness. And it's gotten to a point now that I almost can't preach a message like this without being labeled uh, legalistic and religious. And there is a way to, you know, I believe in health. Anybody believe in health? I, I believe that there is a healthy way to do things. I believe there's a healthy balance. Gracie believes in health. Health. And there's an unhealthy way to deal with sin, and there's a healthy way to deal with sin. And the crazy thing is, this is what is just so crazy to me, is Jesus never once was around any Christians. He hadn't died yet. He had sinners, unbelievers, worldly people following him as his disciples. So, I mean, my gosh, if we don't have a better example of how a, a believer, which Jesus did, had no sin, He tops all of us, dealt with people that were in sin. Why can we not mimic that in the church today? Why can we not use that as our example on how to deal deal with individuals that are caught in adultery? I mean, I get emails all the time. You would be surprised. Facebook messages, emails. What is your church's position on homosexuality? And would I be loved and accepted? Now, you know, that's, that's a loaded question. Because I have to define like every word you just use. I have to def- redefine the word love. I have to redefine the word accepted. I have to redefine the, the word position. I have to redefine the word homosexual. So most of the time, I, I, don't, I don't even bother replying. And a lot of them are just trying to stump you. You have to be a discerner of these things. A lot of these individuals have no interest in coming to your church. They just want to try to catch you in in some kind of hate speech or try to label you as something and then print off what they've got and just share it with the world. So I don't, you know, most of the time I just tell them uh, if I do respond, hey, you'll be loved and accepted here at Anchor Faith Church, but you have to come and experience us. I'm not going to be able to explain who we are. Anchor Faith Church is is not explained, it's experienced. Hope to see you tomorrow. I mean I just leave it at that. I mean I have I have I have lesbian neighbors and they've been here. Sure have. You know, at the end of the day, they'll 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 feel just as comfortable as anybody else that's living in active sin. At some point you're gonna hear a word that's gonna challenge your life and challenge your activity, and challenge your behavior, and you'll have to come to the same crossroad we all do. Am I going to continue in this, or am I going to let grace abound, and, and let grace overcome, uh, and, and, and and take over even the sins that I didn't think I could put down, so that I could be everything that God's called me to be. All, all of us have. Every person in this room, young and old, uh, next door, you're going to have to come to that crossroad at some time. I'm laying down what God has declared is not the lifestyle of a believer. I don't care if it's drinking. I don't care if it's smoking. I don't care if it's cussing. I don't care if it's looking at stuff. I don't care if it's how you treat your wife. I don't care if it's lying. I don't care if it's cheating on the job. I don't care if it's being unfaithful to your spouse. I don't care what it is. It's covered by the book, and we preach it, and we stand by it. And the world wants us to lower our standard in the, in the, the, the acceptance. you cannot change the thing you accept. You do not transform that which you accept. So are we a, a church that's about transformation? Are we a church that expects people to be transformed in their lives and transformed their thinking and transformed in their hearts? Or do we, are, are we a, a, a house where people come and get petted on the flesh and, and feel comfortable and feel convenient and feel like, you know, this is home because everybody just loves me and nobody brings up all my issues? I mean, are we a religious church or are we a righteous church? (laughs) And I believe the Bible shows me that Jesus himself is coming back through those clouds as king to bring back to him a righteous church. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter five, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. How have we blurred that? How have we redefined what without spot or wrinkle means? Well, one way is because we've accepted this terminology. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's broken. You know, it's impossible. That, that's what we would call unnatural. To be a sinner and a believer. I, I cannot be the two. Because the very thing that Jesus came to save me from is the very thing I'm still trying to hold on to. And I know many people say that out of ignorance. Many people say that because they don't know. And I'm here to train you and teach you today. That's false. And you cannot call yourself a sinner any longer. You are a believer in the kingdom of God. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. Now you're a believer. And then there's one extra step in there. Jesus wants to move you from believer to disciple. He doesn't want to leave you as a believer. And a believer that becomes a disciple is now what they take on the inside actually becomes evidenced on the outside. Not super spiritual. Not a Pharisee. That's not what I'm talking about. Because Pharisees have have whitewashed whitewashed tombs. They look all pleasant on the outside, but on the inside they're disgusting and things are dying and they stink. That's a Pharisee. No, a disciple is one that takes to heart the teachings of whom they follow the pupil the student following the master and says i want to follow the example of my master and i want to produce what he produced Hallelujah. that's when you become a disciple but sinner saved by grace terminology is is hurting the church today and i know why we say it because we still we still have faults, we still have failures, we still have issues that we're, we're, we're working through. But here's the thing, I can bark like a dog, but it doesn't make me a dog. So a Christian that sins, and, and, and Paul even goes as far as to redefine sinning. There's, there's, there's sinning, and then there's practicing lawlessness. Like, I have no intention of correcting this thing. I have no intention of fixing this. Or I'm not giving the proper effort. I may want to, but I'm not taking on the necessary measures. But the Bible declares over and over, be holy as I am holy. You know, God has always demanded holiness. That wasn't just stuff for Adam and Eve. He's demanded holiness. He's demanded righteousness. Now, Jesus came to make us righteous. Romans chapter 6. See, when you learn to see yourself the way God sees you, you'll start letting go of stuff that you thought you could hold on to. How do I present the gospel to sinners? How do I present the gospel? You 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 give them something that is so worth going after that they won't even want to keep doing what they're doing. But if you keep telling them how bad they are and how horrible the stuff is that they're doing, then what's going to make them want to change? See, I don't even have to talk about your sin. I can talk about the Savior, and the sin becomes, shoot, dude, I'm letting go of that. You mean there's a God that loves me? You mean there's a God that has a plan for me? You know, he, He's not waiting to strike me down. Why do we believe that? I mean, we've done so much horrible stuff. He would have already struck us down by now, if if He was going to do that. We'd have all been burnt toast day one. <laughs> he ain't waiting to strike you down. He would have done it the first time if that's the God that he is. But see, you've got to get reacquainted with your father. And see, when I show someone who their father is and who their king is and who their God is, I don't even have to deal with the sin. They, they're going to start saying stuff like they did in the book of Acts. What must I do to be saved? They're going to come running down the altar, and I'm not even giving an altar call yet. This is, this is the church. This is what the church should be doing. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. New Living states, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. How have we blurred that line? How, how I mean, I, it's black and white. Don't you realize that you become the slave or whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've been set free. Not just from the. We have not just been set free from the penalty of sin. We have been set free from the power of sin. That's two different things. One says, at least if I sin when I go to hell uh, or I won't have to die and go to hell. The other says sin doesn't have to control me at all. In fact, earlier in this passage, he says, why is sin still working in your mortal bodies? Why is sin, sin still overpowering? Why is, still, uh, why is sin still controlling you? Why is it telling you what to do? See, this is what happened in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. God created man. Man was created in the image of God and in the likeness of God to operate and to function in the earth like God. And man was given dominion, authority, the ability to rule and reign on the earth. But there's a key to authority. It's called submission. And if I don't submit to the king, I won't rule on the earth. My authority will never exceed my level of submission. I said my authority will never exceed my level of submission. So I have to submit to God to be given his power to rule and reign on the earth. So how am I going to control the thing that's controlling me? how am i going to talk to things that are talking to me well, this is a process now, i want you to tell you i want to tell you today it seems like we have to wet this a little more and we have to we have to give a little more disclaimers as the culture goes on as the day and day of age goes on that this is not for condemnation condemnation only comes from one source that's the devil and romans 8 verse 1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but what you might be feeling is conviction and condemnation says here's all the garbage you're doing conviction says here's all the good stuff you could be doing there's a difference the spirit the Holy Spirit talks to your future the enemy talks to your past The enemy wants to highlight where you've missed it, where you've blown it. And this is not a service to be sitting back talking about how horrible we are, all the things that we've done. I mean, look, we can recant these things, and this stuff never seems to go away. doesn't no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, things will come up, and the enemy will try to see A condemned believer is an ineffective believer. A condemned believer is a trapped believer. And you will change no one because you're trapped in yourself. Condemnation cripples you. Condemnation paralyzes you. Condemnation keeps you from doing anything effective for the kingdom of God. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit liberates you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit sets me free. He said, if you want to walk, if you want to live above sin, walk by the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit later on. But a sinner cannot operate in authority. You cannot speak to, talk to, control, have dominion over the things that are controlling you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Sin is powerful. We just sang it, what a beautiful name. We said, the power of sin was great. And look, I, I have to tell you how horrible sin is so you can know how great grace is. If I, if I minimize the power of sin, I therefore minimize the power of grace. But if I show you how great sin was, and grace is even that much greater, Paul had no problem calling out the church. I mean, you can have your name in this book as someone that did it right or someone that did it wrong. And there are some names in here that are mentioned that you don't want to be mentioned like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Falling away from the faith. Preaching things that are contrary to the you don't want to be listed there. He said, there's an individual in your church, the Corinthian church. He's sleeping with his his dad's mom or his dad's wife. You think we got it bad today? I mean, Paul dealt with some pretty bad stuff. (laughs) And he said, you need to get rid of him. You've been harboring him. You've been keeping him in. You've been thinking that you can help him. You can't help him. You send him out. For the destruction of his blood. You, you give him over to the evil one for the destruction of his flesh, hoping that you can redeem him, save him at a later time. When, when you join our church, we let you know this. We have a, we have a standard at Anchor Faith Church. And we're all works of progress. We're all going through stuff. But if we have individuals that are habitually going against, contrary to what we preach, what we believe, what we stand on and are unwilling to accept the counsel and the guidance of the pastoral leadership, then you don't need to be here. And when it gets into a place where you begin to affect those around you, you now become a wolf. You're no longer a sheep anymore. You're trying to draw others away. And we will ask you to leave. Never had to do it, thank God. Never had to do it. But this is the standard of the word of God. The enemy wants nothing more than to, pe- than to see the believers compromise on the very... Because if we don't stand for this, we'll fall for anything. We don't stand for righteousness, then it can only be understood that I stand for unrighteousness. But there's a way to deal with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. And I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. That's the verse. Don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't team up with them. I've used the example before. You know, if I was standing on a chair and my wife was standing on the floor and I was trying to... Lift my wife up onto the chair. The 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 greater tendency is that she's going to pull me down to the floor. If you're higher than someone that's down and you're trying to bring them up, the tendency is that they may bring you down to them. I had someone ask me one time, how do I know uh, when when, um, you know, I, I need to encourage uh, you know, my, my friend's been coming to me and they've, they've had some issues and I've been trying to help them. I've been trying to counsel them or give them guidance. Seems like everybody's reaching out for mentorship and discipleship these days. If you just come to church and hear the word preached, it would solve a lot of the problems. It's going to tell you that. But uh, uh, this individual asked, you know, it just seems like it keeps coming up and, and I don't know how to how, how, how to deal with it. I feel like I need to tell them to they need to talk to their pastors or stronger leaders. I so said, this is how you recognize it. You. you can help uh, on a friend basis in a one-time scenario. My, my kid did this over the weekend, and I just don't know what to do about it. But when you see patterns, now you've got to go higher. Now you've got to go higher. It, 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 they just keep struggling with this, and, and, and I'm telling them what to do, and I'm encouraging them, but it's just not you've got to go to a higher leadership. That's where you need a pastor to step in. It's where you need a shepherd, an overseer of their life. Amen. He says, open your hearts to us. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? See, if you really valued what was on the inside of you, you would would begin to shut off the things that you connect with. If you really valued who Christ made you, now, I'm not talking about just, you know, going through your Facebook list and cutting everybody out. Please hear me. I'm not telling you to get on the phone this afternoon and start calling all the people that you know aren't living right with, with God and saying, I can't talk to you anymore. Sorry. What's the level of the connection? And do you recognize that maybe they're pouring into you a little more than, than needs to? And Do I need to eliminate this? If you're not going where I'm going, we're not together. And I've had to do it. I I do not get up here and preach stuff that I have not done myself. That's ridiculous. I have cut off stuff to do what I'm doing today. And it wasn't easy. It's not easy. I wanted to get rid of that friend anyways. No, they were people that I was close to, people that I grew up with, but we're not going the same direction. And on top of that, every time I talk to you, I feel worse than I did before I talked to you. That's a problem. What harmony do they have? We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So now that's not even Paul speaking anymore. That's God speaking. Uh, God just took over right there and said, wait a minute, I got something I need to say directly to him. You tell him I said this. The whole Bible is written by the unction of the Holy Spirit. But right there, God arrested Paul and he said, I'm prophesying through you now. I'm speaking to my people through you. You are now my mouthpiece. You are now my voice. And this is what I, if you will come out from among them, if you will separate, don't touch their stuff. I'm telling you right now, I mean, we, we just do. We have standards in this church that are probably a little higher, a little tighter than what a lot of churches are used to these days. But, but we work hard to keep a position where we can invest and pour into people's lives and that there will be nothing that will discount or discredit our ministry. And we work hard to that. To do that. And there are things we require. I mean, you will not be on this stage. Period. We've said it before. If you drink alcohol, especially publicly, it cannot happen. And I don't, I don't have conversations about what the Bible says about it. I'm telling you that in today's culture, it only has a negative view. There is nothing positive about it. And I cannot have a conversation with a spouse that is concerned about their husband because they come home every night and they go straight to the bottle and they're just praying that they'll be delivered. And they look at someone else and say, well, you only do it a couple times a week. I can't do that. I see people in bondage. I see people broken. I see families torn apart. I see marriages on the rocks, not even, not even prospering because of that thing because people run to it people go to it for something that the holy spirit should provide them and how in the world are you going to be singing and ministering to someone's life and the night before they saw you at chili's kicking one back that's impossible what what amount of influence do you expect to have on that individual You serve with our children, you serve in Nautilus, and one of, the, one of the children you're ministering to sees you throwing one back at Applebee's? I mean, come on, can we, can, we, can we honor the level of influence and the impact that our life can make and say, I'm willing to eliminate anything that would stand in the way? Whether Jesus said we could do it or not, whether, whether Paul said it's permissible or not, and this isn't legalistic and this isn't laying down, we're the law and you do this, da, da, da. No, we do it because there's an influence we're going to make, and I don't want to discount that at all. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a church where I, I knew the pastor was actively drinking. I wouldn't do it. But, but yet I, I know churches where their leadership staff will kick one back with their pastors. You, you, just, you don't know the damage. I do because I meet with these people. I, I do because I, I look them in the eyes and, and they're weeping and they're crying and they don't know what to do. And it's all because of a drink, all because they couldn't t- put back something, hold down something that, that held them back. Over a drink? I will let go of anything that will affect my influence. I will not allow that. I will not allow the culture to say something's acceptable. I will not allow the world to tell me that I can do something and it's okay. Everybody does. I will not go there. And you can attend our church, and you can come to our church, and you can be a member of our church. You can be a part of our church. But to be a functioning element of our church that's pouring and investing into people's lives, I can't let it happen. And I know everybody's on different. I'm just telling you, it's the Anchor Faith Church way. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and I'm telling you, I, I don't have conversations about it. I would do the same thing. Fornication. There are churches today that are saying it's okay to live together, and they will marry them. We had an a, a individual several years ago, three or four years ago, that was coming to our church because they wanted us to marry them. They didn't even know us. But their pastor wouldn't do it, and somebody else wouldn't do it, so we were like third on the list, and, and they heard about us from somebody. And, and, and so they were coming several weeks, and, and they said, you know, we, we, we really like you guys. We really would love for you guys to marry us. And so we went out to lunch. I don't know anything about them, but, you know, just trying to get to know them, figure out the situation. They lived together. And I just tell them, look, you're in sin. You are starting off behind the eight ball. You've got to separate. When's the marriage? It's just three months away. For three months, you've got 90 days. Separate. Show her how important she is. Show him what's really important in your life. And show him. Because if you two aren't going this way, you're going this way. But no, I'm sorry. I will not marry you. Didn't come back. That's okay. They probably found someone. I'm telling you. And now in 2018, to hold a standard And to hold a value, we're judging, we're legalistic, we don't love people. The time is too close. Our efforts should be more focused today than when Paul was writing that letter. He could come back any second. Have we lost that? Sometimes I feel we need to get a Baptist preacher up in here and just tell us about what God has done. The time is too short, y'all. It's too short to live unrighteous. We know too much. You're in a great church. I'm telling you right now, you're, you're in a phenomenal church. You're in the best church in town. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You're in a great church. And I'm not discrediting anybody. But I know the word. This is prime stuff, man. I, I, I do not study all week or, or, or just kick back and then, you know, late Saturday night or early Sunday morning just try to come up with something that I can run in a blender. We've been, we've been grilling this thing, man. It's been sitting in the oven for a long time, priming it up. This is not a smoothie. It will challenge. But it's because we know the greatness that's inside of you. We know the power of God and the potential of God to work in a vessel that honors him. And honors his word. And we live a life that says, man, if it even comes close. See, so many believers want to draw the line and they want to stand on the line. And then they wonder why they fell into I couldn't even fall into sin because I'm so far away from the line. If I fell out, I'm still in there. You live close to the line. You live on the line. You're going to end up on the other side of the line. But he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he continues, verse 1. Because we have these promises, man, I'm so thankful that we have the promises of God. You can smile a little bit, it's okay. We have promises, but he says, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. See, see, sometimes we don't recognize the things that defile us spiritually. I was just with my pastor uh, Friday night in Saint Augustine, and um, he was talking a little bit along these lines actually, and and uh, he, he said there there are you know he, he said I can't go to movies in groups with people anymore because there's a very good chance that I'm going to have to get up and walk out. so he said, you know, and he said he's done it. And, and I, I, I've been there when he's done it. I can't even remember the movie it was, but I've been there. And you can't sit. You can't stay. If your pastor goes, you've got to go, too. No, whether Regardless of what you think about Yes, we're leaving. How are you going to stay? Okay, Pastor. And he'll, and he'll tell you. He'll tell you, hey, whatever is good for you, but for my conscience and for where I'm at, I can't, I can't continue to watch this. But you ain't staying, man. <laughs> it ain't happening. You going somewhere? <laughs> and he and he will not pay for the movie either. He won't do it for your movie, I mean. He'll pay. It's a lost ticket to him. But you can't say, "Hey, could you you mind paying for my movies since you made us leave?" <laughs> Let us work toward. Work toward. My my question for you today is: Where are your efforts? Where are your efforts? What direction are you? I'm not saying we're all the way over there. I'm saying what are our efforts? What In, in the consistency, in the daily uh, activities, in the daily mindsets, in the daily things that you do, where are your efforts leading you? What are you progressing towards? Complete holiness. That means there can be incomplete holiness. But he's saying, I want a fulfilling Of that in you. I want to see righteousness flow out of you. I want to see holiness flow. I don't want to see anything hold you or keep. He's not trying to restrict us, guys. He's trying to liberate us. Please open your hearts to us. He's crying out to the Corinthian church. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. And I'm not saying this to condemn you. And I'll echo Paul. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live and die. Together I have the highest confidence in you. I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was joy. So was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. He saying we were struggling, and and, and I'm going to tell you right now, Uh, It it, it may not be a big deal to you, but it's a huge deal to me. Uh, Just this past week, I saw two people dialoguing on Facebook about a message that I had ministered. And you don't know what that does for me. Can I just tell you? Can I just be a little transparent? You don't know how that encourages me. To know that you're getting something, you're receiving something. When you share stuff out there, or or, or I know you're communicating, or or, or you're saying what what you're getting, that this isn't a waste of your time. The last thing I'd want is that we just do this as a religious ritual and practice, and we walk out of here the same way we came in, and there's nothing different about us. And Paul's saying, you don't know the encouragement I got from you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to get us to continue to strive towards holiness, to strive for the very thing that he gave his life for. This is for you, not against you. His presence was a joy when he told us how much you longed to see me, how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. He's talking about the first Corinthians. I'm not sorry I called you immature Christians. I'm not sorry I called you babes in Christ and you hadn't yet matured as I had hoped and expected you to. I'm not sorry that I called you out for harboring an, an individual that is, uh, cre- uh, that is committing fornication and adultery with his own father. Against his own father. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sorry for calling you out on those things. Is what he's saying. Though I was sorry at first. For I know it was pain, painful for you for a little while, but but here's the thing, guys. Many of the things that are painful in the moment help us in the long run, and many of the things that we enjoy in the moment are dangerous to us in the long run. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to rep- repent and change your ways because you don't change what it goes unconfronted. What is not confronted does not change. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you are not harmed by us in any way. Kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. And results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. The worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves. Such indignation. Such alarm. Sometimes we just need a wake up call. You know, sometimes it's not what we intend to do, but we need to recognize the impact of what our actions are, regardless of if it was, man, it wasn't my intention to hurt you, but but I see that it did. We've got to recognize that. Well, my heart was right. Yeah, but your actions still produce the wrong result. We still need to change that. Such longing to see me, such zeal, such a readiness, readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wrong. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. Worship team would come. Righteousness is a value that God has and still has. What is God's view? You know, people ask me, and I just mentioned, what's your view on this or what's your view on that? And I'll be honest with you, I don't have a view. But my king does. And I'm an ambassador. An ambassador doesn't have a selfish ambition or his own agenda. An ambassador is sent on the mission from the king, and so he can only carry the thoughts, wills, and intents of the king. So I don't get to have a view. I don't get to have an idea. I don't get to have a thought about it. I don't get to, to, well, this is what I think. I don't get to do that. I can only tell you what the king says. I can only tell you what the king wants for you. and He wants transformation. You can come as you are, but he does not want to leave you the way you are. And look, we we all have things in our lives that when you came into the kingdom, you wanted to let go of. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of this lifestyle. I'm tired of this habit. I'm tired. But then there's things that God will start to hit on that, you know what, you're okay with. Well, I'm okay with that kind of movie. And I'm okay with those kind of friends. And I'm okay with this, this kind of habit. But when the Lord deals with it, you let it go. You let it go. When the Lord deals with it, you shut it down. You say, Lord, if that's what you're identifying. And it's different for everybody. Some things. Now, some things are just blatant sin and nobody should do it. And there's other things that the Lord will challenge you with in your walk with him, in your transformation process. And he say, you know, it was okay in this season, but in this season, it's not anymore. Right? If you want to go higher, there's less that you can carry with you. If you want to go further, if you want to become stronger, you're going to have to eliminate some things. Any area of growth that I see in an individual, I can know on the backside there was something eliminated. I know. It may, you may have eliminated your comfort. You may have eliminated your, your love for sleeping in. But I'm knowing, I'm seeing that you're walking deeper with the Lord because you're getting up early. You're challenging your flesh and you're spending time in the Word and you're communing with your Father and it's producing results. We cannot expect to change the fruit until we deal with the root. You cannot expect to change what's on the outside until you, God, starts working on what's on the inside. Transformation. Let me say this. Why do we need transformation? Has anybody seen the world lately? Are they lost? Are they dying? Are they going to hell in a handbasket? Quick. It's like they're running towards it. That's why you need to be transformed. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your neighbor. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your coworker you're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for your boss. You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for the city of If You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for the city of Madison. You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for the military. You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for the school you go to make influence in. You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. You're not going to do it for yourself. Do it for your spouse. Because ultimately the transformation that he's calling us to make on the inside is so that we can change the world on the outside. And he's not using people. He's not using substandard. He's not using babies. He's not using immaturity to change the world around them. He's using those that will give themselves to the call and give themselves to the purpose and give themselves to what God has called them to do. And they will start ruling and reigning and having dominion on earth and not being controlled by everything around them. That's how we see the world changed. You see people complaining about the president and talking about the president, and all I got to say is, you are a part of the problem, not the solution. I don't care what you think, and I don't care how right you are. You're not changing anything. Do we have anybody in this house this morning that wants to be a part of the, the solution? Does anybody in this house want to say, I'm done with the problem? I'm done with the campus that that negates that God and doesn't care about God, that is Lifestyles and the behaviors and the stuff you see around you. I gotta change myself. And when I when I change myself, God will use me to change the world. God will use me. Father, we want to be used by you.